It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome to the Skinny Podcast. It's the weekly potpourri edition. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com, digital sports columnist and editor with Rick Roaring. Each week, we take a look at sports topics locally, some nationally. Look forward to the end of the podcast segment where you can ask me anything, and I will certainly try to answer it to the best of my ability. And uh, those are always uh, interesting and fun questions. And uh, the best part is I fly blind on those questions. So um, I fly blind on the topics, actually. Rick does most of this. Occasionally, I'll send Rick topics, but Rick really sets most of this up, and I just I just flail away at it. So um, You know, some people would think that's called being unprepared, but I prefer it that way because I, oh, I, I, do too. Think, no, no, I, do too. I think it's great to just throw things at you and let you rant. Yeah, no, I agree. I think that's exactly the way to do it. I, I have no problem with that. And, I, and from a sports perspective, most topics I should be prepared on. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm good with all that. Um, speaking of good, I mean, here we are. We are, we are kicking the can down the road. I know this is going to come up on the podcast, but, man, I am, my optimism level is getting less and less on all this stuff, bro. Is it really? Yeah. I, I just I – I really don't understand why. I'm starting to feel like I really am the crazy person now. Like I'm <laughs> – I, we're getting to a point where we've gone so far in a direction where I just don't, I can't figure out what's logical or what's reality or any, everything seems so overblown and so overdone. I just have a hard time understanding like, am I being logical or reasonable here? Or is the whole world going crazy? Or am I the idiot? Or what's, what's actually no. happening right now? I think it's e all of the above for all of us because I'm I'm with that. I, look again, I, I'm I'm gonna probably get into a topic that you're gonna discuss at some point, but I I think it's all of that. I think that that there's a lot of overreaction. I think there's in some cases some underreaction. I think there's some unpreparedness. I think there's some kick the can to the point of uh oh now we can't kick it down the road anymore. Now what do we do? Um, there's some hope and hope is never a great plan. I mean it's all it's all of those things. So. Um, I don't know, man. We're in July now, and and uh, there's a lot of stuff supposed to start by the end of the month, and uh, it just doesn't it just doesn't feel like it's going to be very effective. I, I hope I'm wrong. All right. Well, I think we will get into that a little bit more towards the end of the podcast, but let's start it off right now with some NFL talk. The New England Patriots have been fined $1.1 million by the NFL for inappropriately filming the Cincinnati Bengals sideline during a game last season. The league also took away a third-round pick in the 2021 draft and banned the team from shooting any games in the 2020 season. Skinny, do you think the punishment fit the crime for the Patriots, who have now been charged with cheating multiple times by the league? Yeah, I I was so busy um, the day after that came down. It came down on Sunday night, and I put it on the website, but I never really reacted to it in a column. I did it back when they first got caught red-handed and my suggestion was um, this stuff doesn't stop until Bill Belichick gets suspended for at least a year and uh, it's not going to stop. So you, the Patriots who really, um, they don't seem to really care a whole lot about draft picks. I mean, they trade them around like crazy people and you never know why they wind up. I don't think they care. They lost the third round pick and the owner loses a little bit of chump change um, and all of that to get away with spying how many times on teams and to finally get caught once. And this is the deterrent. Um, what's to say you, you don't do it again? Um, I don't care if Bill Belichick can have plausible deniability. I don't, I don't care if he can say, well, I don't know anything about it. Yeah, you do. You, you do. You may not set the plan in place, but you do know, um, or you know someone who does know who has put the plan in place, and, and that's the way you stop it. He gets suspended for a year, and it, and it gets stopped. So I, you know, I wrote that back in, hell, back in January, I guess it was, when, when all this stuff was going down, that that's, that's the punishment that would fit the crime here. That I think at the time I even wrote that he should be suspended from the playoffs because he'd been caught in the regular season, that if you want to nip this in the bud, 
let's do something like that or, or suspend him for multiple years. I don't care. He'll kick him out of the NFL for all I care. Um, it, it is a systemic level of cheating that New England's gotten caught doing multiple times. And, and this is a slap on the wrist. Yeah, well, and, and that's what I was just getting ready to ask you. Because you came out um, and were, I don't want to say over the top, but I mean, you were thinking that the NFL should be very punitive in, in how they handle this um, with the Patriots. Now that we've seen what they've they've received in terms of a punishment, I, I don't see how – it almost feels like the Patriots set this punishment themselves. It's almost like yes. one of those situations where one of the NCAA self-imposed. teams yep. – yeah, Self-imposed, and then they just hope that that's what, all they're going to get. And in this case, I mean, what on earth here would deter the Patriots from doing this again? Nothing. No, you're, you're Absolutely nothing. Draft. Right, nothing. And, I mean, it's almost a, it's almost something that they won't even notice. I mean, probably the biggest thing here, as you mentioned, the third-round pick in 2021 means absolutely nothing to them. I mean, it's a, a pick they probably wouldn't have actually used themselves anyway. They may have traded it off or something. But um, the, the banning them from shooting any games in the 2020 season might actually be the biggest punishment for them because it makes it tougher for them to cheat with their camera crews next year. Yeah, like that, unless, that's the uh, the only thing that could actually keep them from cheating here again. And, and although we probably are going to have um, you know less than capacity crowds at NFL games if we have NFL football, I mean, you know, you can find a different clever way to do it. You can take a cell phone, probably get yourself a you know the Patriots spring for a nice gr- uh, StubHub seat down close enough where you can shoot the <laughs> sideline. I mean, honestly, there, there's oh, a, you don't think they've done that? I mean, I guarantee you. Yeah, no, right? Yeah, like exactly. Exactly. I mean, so yeah, there, there's, they're going to find another loophole around this and um, they, they keep doing it and yet nothing really is ever done to them. And that's, that's shame. That's, that's, that's weak need on the part of the NFL. And, it, and it, it's not surprising. It's not surprising, but it is just to a certain extent. It's, I mean, it's not going to damage the NFL. No one's going to look at this and be like, no. Oh, I'm not watching NFL anymore because of this, or I've lost respect for the NFL. But at the same time, it does it does make you question the legitimacy of things a little. I mean, you have to look at it and say, okay, well, this is, I mean, the Patriots can do essentially whatever they want. And this is kind of just a storyline deal where, I mean, none of this is real. You know I mean? Like we're not, we're not doing this out of uh, logic or an actual procedure or anything like that. It's just basically eh, whatever happens, we just kind of decide to make it up as we go for storylines and we just keep it churning. Whatever way makes us the most money in our opinion. I like the fact that they were caught red-handed, pretty much admittedly caught red-handed. I mean, the Patriots actually, um, if, I'm, if I remember right, fired the, the camera crew, or yeah. at least the person doing it, very quickly to cover their ass. Um, and yet it took six months plus to still continue to investigate this and come up with what really was a punishment that I could have told you was going to be handed down the day after. I mean, honestly, that, that's what this feels like. And um it, it, it just it's it is unbelievable it, it is believable because it's it's what the NFL is they are they are not going to they're not going to hurt a storied franchise in any way shape or form in a punitive way um and I think they probably feel that listen if we suspend Bill Belichick it, it's more embarrassing for our league if we don't um and and so they didn't yeah well I that's clearly the route they've decided to go I I don't agree with it I don't see how hardly yeah, I mean, any fans can agree with it that aren't Patriot fans but that's neither here nor there. Let's stay on the topic of the Patriots because they covered up that news dump by also <laughs> signing quarterback Cam Newton on the same day that that news came out. He agreed to a one-year deal with the New England Patriots. The incentive-laden deal is worth a maximum of $7.5 million. Newton, who was released by the Carolina Panthers back on March 24th, will join a Patriots quarterback room that currently includes Jared Stidham, Brian Hoyer, and rookies Brian Lewerke and Jamar Smith. 
The Patriots didn't draft a quarterback this offseason despite losing future Hall of Famer and six-time Super Bowl champion Tom Brady, who signed a two-year deal with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Skinny, can Cam Newton return to being a top quarterback in the league with the Patriots? I, I don't see it. I, you know, I'm watching all the talking head shows this week, and they spent three full days discussing this topic, and, and, and the analysts that they, that they talked to were over the top of this is now make New England a, a Super Bowl contender again, and um, now they're the favorite in, in the AFC East. And I, I'm, I'm sorry, I, I, don't, I don't see it. It, it. This is not Cam Newton of five years ago, and granted, Cam Newton of five years ago, you were not going to be able to sign for a one-year $7.5 million incentive-laden deal, but the fact is this is not the Cam Newton of then. Um, and if you look at Cam's career, I think it's been a good career. I don't think he's been great. Um, he's, he had that one spectacular year where he was the MVP and, and took Carolina to the Super Bowl. You take that season out of the mix, um, he's sub-500 as a starter. And look, I know that's always a skewed stat because he's not the lonely one that factors into wins and losses. But uh, again, I mean, that stat's used for a lot of quarterbacks. So he's sub-500. He's 21st, I believe, or 22nd in active passer rating below the likes of Andy Dalton on the list. He's never been a great passer. He's, he's a good passer. He's an okay pass downs. Part of his game is obviously using his legs and feet. And at 30 years old with all the hits he's taken and coming off an injury that they still don't know if he's healthy enough to do this. I, I don't see it. And, and the other part is, and, and look, I know Josh McDaniels tailored, you know, his offense to, to Tim or the, the, to Tim Tebow the one year, the, 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 Actually, no, he did not. He did not tailor to him. So I want to see how they tailor the offense to, to, to Cam Newton. I, again, I just don't see it. It's a, it's a good signing. I mean, it, it's, it's certainly a team-friendly deal for a guy who's a former MVP, um, albeit five years removed from that MVP thing. But I, I'm, I'm not gaga over it. I, I, again, it's, it's a landing place for him and a logical landing place. Uh, you know, I heard people, you know, Richard Sherman going crazy that that's all Cam got. Nobody wanted him because everybody else has a starter they like. I mean, I'm sorry for that fact. And, and so th this was the right landing place. That's all New England could really afford. It made sense because he's coming off injury that you don't know about. And, um, yeah, again, I, I like the, the, the risk-reward part of it for New England, but I'm not the one here sitting thinking that Cam Newton's going to be the Cam Newton I remember from a few years ago. Well, a couple things here that, that jump out to me. and One is that this was a weird year for the quarterback market. There just weren't a lot of – open spot I mean as much as we say everyone always needs a quarterback there weren't a lot of teams that were looking for a free agent signing um, of like a veteran starter it seems like teams have kind of gone away from that a little bit you see them happen uh, you know in flurries a little bit but we haven't it used to be when you were when you needed a quarterback your first resort was to go find you a guy that was steady and was a veteran backup type of guy or a journeyman you know the John Kitna type signing like the Bengals had or the Neil O'Donnell sort of usher you into whatever you knew, new era was going to be teams have gone away from that a little bit they I mean like look at the Bengals right now they're, they're now, going to new era yeah. and they're just it's saying we don't need any veterans at all period um so teams aren't as into that as they used to be for one uh but then two there was a there were a lot of quarterbacks on the market this year um for free agent signings and not necessarily top tier guys and so I think part of the, that's part of the reason that Cam Newton was left out in the cold I think it could have been different um if it was a different quarterback market the other thing that jumps out to me and I remember when we had talked about Andy Dalton a while back and we got into a weird comparison with him and Cam Newton for some reason and you were basically saying that you felt Andy Dalton was as good or better than Cam Newton at that time which I totally disagreed with and, and still do the thing you always talk about is the Cam Newton from five years ago okay yes that was the Cam Newton who won MVP totally agree 
But what you seem to forget about is there wasn't this precipitous drop-off of Cam Newton's play. Like, he's oh, been yes, injured. there was. No, there wasn't. He's been injured multiple times throughout those years, and yes, he's had bad years mixed in there. But 2018, which was just two years ago, was arguably his best year, even better than the MVP season, maybe not numbers-wise, but he, because he finally found a way to be more accurate and more efficient as a passer. He completed 68% of his passes in 2018, and then yes, he had he the did. big injury again. Yeah, as a dink and dunk guy for the most part. And they still were 6-8 and eight that year. Yeah, well, I mean, that's fair. But, I mean, that has a lot more to do with the Carolina Panthers than it does Cam Newton. I mean, they're just absolutely relying on him to do everything at that point. And he had a yeah, him and McCaffrey and a 94.2 quarterback rating. I mean, he, he wasn't terrible. He was 24 touchdowns, 13 interceptions. This was just two years ago. The guy is only 31 years old. So um, it's not like he's done yet. I, well, well, I mean, the, he, the, might, he might be. The year after his MVP year, his passer rating went down to 75.8. The next year was only 80.7. Maybe 2018's an outlier. Maybe well, it was a bounce-back outlier. It, it, it could be, except for, again, he was a guy who won MVP in 2015. And right, so what happened the very next year? He, he fell off a cliff? He was injured. Yeah, he was injured. I mean, he's had injuries and nonstop, that, that, basically, it, since 2015. And that's also part of my point I just made is you're, you're not signing the Cam Newton of 2015. You're signing a beat-up Cam Newton at age 30 who's still – his best part of his game is his ability to run the football. That's the best part of his game, and I just don't know if it's there anymore. And that's a better, a better point, I think, than you're not – than, you know, Cam can't be what he was five years ago because, I, I mean, two years ago he was very good still. Like, in 2018, you would still take him as, over a lot of quarterbacks in the NFL, or at least I think most people would aside from yourself. So I don't necessarily agree with, I mean, you know, he's so far and away gone from being the MVP that he was in 2015 when in 2018, I think he was even better possibly. So I am very concerned about his injury history. And I think there's definitely the potential that he never really gets back to being that guy. And certainly he's not going to be able to run the same way he used to. He can't keep taking the same amount of hits. So how is this a guy then that makes New England suddenly a contender for the Super Bowl? Well, I, I don't know. They have a lot of issues other than, than this. Uh, you, think, you think they have a lot of issues other than this? You take their skill position, guys? No. Okay. But, I mean, do I mean I, would I, okay, but would I ever take their skill position, guys? Not usually. Mm, yeah, because you had a you had arguably the greatest of all time playing quarterback, right? Right, but I mean, but the, he oh, but they overcame the wide receivers, the lack of targets, you know, the lack of running backs, all that stuff, and they've always done that. So, and that's what you're asking. You're asking Cam Newton to be Cam Newton of 2015, and I just I'm so I don't see. I it. think he I could be a close. Cam Newton of 2018, and you'd be really good still if you're the Patriots with Bill Belichick coaching you. And I think that's the the point that we haven't mentioned yet that is most interesting to everybody is. What can a guy who has Cam Newton's talent, who has really, I mean, let's, I mean, do you have a lot of confidence in the Carolina Panthers organization as a whole, whether it be them putting the right talent around him, whether it be their culture, whether it be their coaching staff? I mean, do, do you really feel like they, they were getting the most out of Cam Newton during his career? Um, I, I, I like their coach. I think Ron Rivera is a good coach. Um, but yeah, I didn't think they, they did a great job of putting great talent around him. Um, Until mo more recently, it felt like that, you know, one, like they one get him guy, one guy. And, yeah. Um, yeah, one guy. And he turned Kelvin Benjamin into a star. I think that had a lot to do with Cam uh, as much as it did Kelvin Benjamin. But I, I guess my point overall is, is just that seeing him with Bill Belichick with a plan in place. And I mean, whether you buy into Bill Belichick and the Patriots staff being these geniuses that are on such a different level from the NFL or not, you can't argue with their results. 
they have put guys in position to be successful. And a lot of times those have guys that have been cast aside by their former team, guys who have had problems, which by the way, people make it out to be like Cam Newton is a head case, which that's never really been said about him. He wears goofy clothes, but everyone seems to think he loves football, does nothing but work out and has a great teammate. So I think, I think it has the potential to work. I'm not, I'm not one of the talking heads on ESPN that thinks they're going to win a Super Bowl now, but I think they were already going to be in contention just because they were the Patriots, and you give them the chance to, to have a quarterback who's not going to be MVP Cam Newton, but I think he can be a top-10 quarterback in the league still potentially. No, not, not a chance. Back. No, there's no way. There's no way. I mean, I just disagree with you on that. I think, okay. I think he has that type of talent. I mean, I think, I think there are only like six or so quarterbacks that are like, top tier guys that are untouchable and after that I think it's kind of a jumble and I think he can very much be in that group that second tier Mm. well uh, this is going to be such a great litmus test to see did Belichick need Brady did Brady need Belichick or maybe they can can coexist without each other yeah and I think the answer is probably the latter although I don't I don't know that either team's going to be that great like there's definitely the chance that the Buccaneers still suck and there's definitely ch- the chance that the Patriots are going to suck without. See, I, th- I think I, I think the flip side of it. I think there's a better chance New England stinks, and there's a better chance Tampa's really good. Pro- prob- that's probably right. Like I, I value Tom Brady more than I value Bill Belichick and the Patriots for sure. Yes. I I yes. totally agree with that. But that being said, I still think there is. I mean, there's some logic in saying Cam Newton could bounce back in the Patriots organization. If nothing else, just because the culture, and the way they expect to win. and I mean, that stuff matters. I don't care what anyone says. Even at the professional ranks, confidence and expecting to win and the way you go about things matters. And the Patriots have that. Yeah, and, and the only other thing I'll say is, and it goes back to the injury situation, is, is we still don't know if he's healthy or not. No one really knows that. And we're not sure. going to know that until we get whatever level of training camp, for goodness sakes. And that's the other negative here is, uh, you know, in an off season where you're going to a new organization, and this isn't just him, this is a lot of different people. Um, it's that's awful tough, especially now. Late, at least, at least Brady got some virtual off season. At least Brady got some some working out, albeit which he shouldn't have done here the last few weeks with with some some wide receivers down in Tampa. Cam's got none of that, and now you're getting thrown into a new system, a new a new offense, a new organization with very minimal ramp up time and and you don't know where you're at health wise and you don't have a I mean, you don't have a lot of time once training camp starts to do all this. It's, it seems like a again, I get the risk reward signing of it. I'm not against that part. I mean, it it's certainly it, it's got a great chance to be a better upgrade over Jared Sidham. I'm just not gaga about him taking the team over the top like some are. No, and, and I think we're actually closer in how we feel about this than, than not. I mean, we're, we're kind of arguing on, on Cam Newton just as a player, but I, I agree with you. I do not think this puts them over the top. I think it gives them the chance to be in a better situation than they were with Jared Stidham. Yeah, and, 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 and lastly on this, for, for some of the players, Richard Sherman was pretty vocal about it, you know, criticizing that that's all he got was seven and a half mil. I would ask, where else was a landing spot, Rick, as a starter, as a potential starter? Jacksonville None. probably, but look, Jacksonville's trying to tank too, right? They, they're, they don't think Gardner Minshew is their long-term solution. Their hope is we suck and we get Trevor Lawrence. Let's face facts there. So right. other than that, and that, certainly that Cam's a clear upgrade over Gardner Minshew, where else was he going to start? Yeah, I, I don't know the answer to that. And I think basically what you look at is he got the, the Marcus Mariota deal from last year. It's the, yeah. you know, I mean, for different reasons. And Marcus Mariota hadn't really proven himself yet, whereas Cam has proven himself in a past life, but has now been injured for a few years and really hasn't recovered to that point. So it's like, 
you're taking a flyer on a guy. It's, it's low risk. And if, if he plays really well, he can make upwards of 7.5 million, but you're only on the hook for a million if you cut him in training camp. Right. So, right. um, yeah, I think, I think it made a lot of sense in terms of the money, but at the same time, he wasn't going to get that money anywhere else. And he no, wasn't going exactly. to sign for that price unless it was the Patriots. So yeah, it, it all correct. worked out. Correct. Let's switch gears here and talk a little college basketball skinny. Xavier landed its first recruit in the 2021 class over the weekend when six foot ten big man Cesar Edwards out of Hartsville, South Carolina, committed to Travis Steele and his staff. Edwards chose the Musketeers over Clemson, South Carolina, Florida, Florida State, and others. He's a four-star talent ranked 102nd in the 24-7 sports top 150 rankings. Last year, Xavier had the 23rd ranked recruiting class in the country. The 2019 class, which already paid dividends on the court last season with Zach Fremantle and Kiki Tandy, was ranked 27th. However, the Musketeers have failed to reach 20 wins in either of Travis Steele's first two seasons, missing the tournament in 2019 and being essentially in the same position last year, before the pandemic shut things down. Skinny, what do you make of the job Travis Steele and his staff have done so far at Xavier? I mean, he's stacking some good classes. Um, and, and I think for Xavier, that's the good thing, right? I mean, you're not getting the one-and-done guy. Might you get the two-and-done guy? Maybe the three-and-done guy? Yeah. But if you keep stacking classes, um, that's all you can do. And then it's up to you to coach them up and, and, and win ball games. But, I, yeah, I mean, they're, they're stacking classes. And I, I think for the Xaviers of the world – that that's 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 your formula it's not going to be could you make the tournament every year for a consistent number of times yeah they've done that before I don't know if you do that in the big east per se but yeah you can do that but that that special group that's coming along every four years every three years and that special group you need to get to the second weekend and maybe have your one miracle run to the final four but yeah I look stack classes got as much talent as possible and and now coach them up yeah, I'll talk a little bit about Cesar Edwards in a second, just to give the Xavier fans that are listening, you know, some thoughts on him. But for Steels specifically, when you look at it, I mean, I think you're logical enough. You're on the same side as uh, me in the sense that you're not going to look at this and say he should be fired, and you're also not going to look at it and say, oh, lifetime contract, he can do no wrong, he's done a great job. So you're going to be somewhere in the middle. Is the good recruiting classes in back-to-back years, and granted, this one, you know, the 2020 class, we haven't seen anything from yet. But uh, 2019, you can you can honestly look at and say, okay, yeah, Kiki Tandy looked really good. Zach Freeman looked really good as freshmen. They're going to get better. You have a couple other guys in that class who maybe could contribute down the road that redshirted this past year. So that was a nice class. The 2020 class is ranked highly. We'll see what they bring. Um, and now you're getting off to a good start in 2021. Is that enough? along with what he's done as a coach because what he's done as a coach let's face it I mean like no Xavier fans are happy with I mean that's you don't miss the tournament in back-to-back years and they were very close to doing that and maybe would have uh, if we would have gotten an NCAA tournament field this year Um, and the style of play isn't what Xavier fans were used to the lack of skill and shooting and all that stuff and I think um, some of that was out of Steele's control in fact probably a lot of it was out of his control do you feel like you've seen enough with the recruiting combined with what they've done on the court that you feel confidence in saying he's the right guy for the job going forward? Or uh, are you more questioning him at this point? No, I, I look, th- th- this year would have been interesting to see how it would have played itself out or this past year would have been interesting to see how it played out from a uh, making the tournament perspective. And maybe it's uh, you know, you kind of just put it in the, in the back of your mind that, that, you kind of wash this season away because the season got washed away. Um, I mean, I would say this, Rick. I mean, you don't make the tournament the next two years, then yeah, I'm going to question it, but I'm I'm going to give him that time frame at least, right? I mean, that's right. silly not to. Um, if it, it, look, if you start stacking recruiting classes 
and you don't make the tournament in in both 20 what are we um, my math is so foggy anymore. 2021, 2021 and 2022, <laughs> 2022 yeah. then yeah okay that's a lot that's enough i've seen you know at that point that's enough you've you got players in you 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 couldn't win with that group and it's time to move on from that but and i don't think that's going to happen i mean if you start getting enough talent um in that league you're going to do enough to make the tournament in one of those two years if not both and 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 if that happens you buy yourself plenty of time to continue your program moving forward yeah, and we've talked about this before on the podcast, but like if they missed it four years in a row, there is zero question in my no mind doubt. that right. he is gone. I mean, that's a zero questions asked. Your coach is gone if you don't make it four years in a row at Xavier. And, and that includes this year where, let's face it, they were the last team in the tournament if they were going to make it. And, you know, there's a chance they wouldn't have made it. So Speaking, uh, speaking of which, I want to cut you off on a pointer, Rick. Um, do you think the NCAA, in retrospect, for reasons of what we're talking about now, and, and you'll probably disagree, do you think they should have come out with a presumptive bracket just so a team could go, okay, we would have been in for reasons of what we're talking about right now? Well, it's really interesting because in a lot of ways, the pandemic did save some guys' jobs, I think. Right. You know, I mean, right. there were, you know, unfortunately for uh, Steve McLean at UIC in the Horizon League, he got to the Horizon League finals, lost that, and that wasn't enough. They still right. went ahead and fired right. him. Right. But for almost everybody else, you know, that was really on the hot seat. I think if nothing else, the school just didn't want to hire in this climate when there was so much uncertainty and timelines were going to be all over the place. So and financial um, and financials moving forward, you don't know well, about sure. either. Yeah, yeah you right, don't have sure. money. Yeah. Um, do I think they wish they would have done it? No, I don't. I, I don't think that the NCAA wishes that for these reasons. No, no. I'm just saying. Do you think they should? Yeah. Do you think they should have done it? Was my if I said I mean, that? I think from a fan perspective, we all would have liked to have seen it. Uh, but I think they probably made the right decision not to because there are some very real things on the line here, right, in terms of, like, people's jobs. Like, for instance, if Travis Steele had not made last year's tournament. Right. And I don't, and I don't think this really changes how you felt about last year's team. They were not a NCAA tournament team, basically, right? So, I mean, whether they would have been the last team in or not, Xavier fans wouldn't feel much differently. But at the same time, if you have it definitively on his resume that he did not make the tournament, in back-to-back years, that is something that is going to be brought up when you're talking about contracts. I mean, it just is. So, no, I, I don't think they should have put it out because people hadn't finished playing their conference tournament yeah. to give you. Now, did I want one at that time? Yes. I wanted, I wanted to have the bracket so we had stuff to talk about and we had the <laughs> excitement of Selection Sunday. But is it the right thing to do? Probably not. What do you think? Yeah, I, I, I'm probably with you. Um because I think it would have hurt more coaches than it would have helped them, to be honest with you. And in such a crazy year, um, I think you just wash it away from memory. I mean, because then we can presume, well, I think my team was a Final Four team. My team was a Final Eight team. And I think my team was going to win it all. Well, no, nobody did because you didn't get the chance to play it. And that's what this is all about. So I'm kind of with you. I think at the time, yeah, I would have liked to have seen it just to talk about it. But I think in retrospect, it's, it is probably a good thing they didn't put it out. Yeah. And I mean – those poor Dayton fans. That's all I can ever think about when people talk about. I know you do. The tournament. I, I mean, I, I will say this for, for the poor Dayton fans, man, they lost out on a special basketball season. I just Whether you like, I know you hate the city and it's pretty well documented, but then minor league baseball gets canceled and they have really bought into that Dayton dragons franchise. Holy cow, man. That is, that's a lot. Yeah. That's, that's a tough way to go. A tough year up in Dayton, but I mean, really when you think about it, every year is a tough year in Dayton. So they're built to handle this. Uh, if, if, if I had a, a, a drum set, I'd go, but I mean, I knew that was coming. 
<laughs> you teed it up for me. But yep. back to Xavier Steele. Anyway, I think, again, four years not making the tournament, zero questions asked. He's gone. This yep. year, though, is a weird situation because if, if you look at it and say, okay, we're going to keep him after the first two years, then you have to acknowledge the fact that this is kind of a rebuilding year. I mean, you're totally kind of resetting the roster. The upperclassmen are gone. So I think you have to give him – there's a chance they are right back in the same position this year as they were the last two where they're on the bubble. And I don't think that would be a bad coaching job because you have such a young team. So. No, but it, would, it, but it would clearly put you on the very hot seat heading into the – again, I'm doing my math here – 2021-2022 season. Without question. I mean, if, if he does not make the tournament this year, which is, I think, very possible. I, I think they will make the tournament, but it's very possible they do not. Then he is his seat is red hot heading into year four. I think. Um, real you know quick, what just, I really you know what I you know what I really hope. What's that? I really hope we have a twenty 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 one season. <laughs> fair, fair enough. We'll talk more about that uh, in, in one second here. But real quick, Cesar Edwards, who they landed, yeah. um, really unique player, six ten, about two hundred and twenty pounds. Uh, and some people I saw it online were comparing him and Jackson Hayes from Moeller because they're about the same size. They were ranked you know, about the same, but kind of almost under the radar, even though they were fringe top 100 guys. Uh, there are people, and I'm one of them, who think Cesar Edwards is maybe top 50. I mean, certainly top 75 type talent, uh, but he is extremely different from Jackson Hayes. I just want to be clear about that because I've seen the comparison out there a lot. They are nothing alike. Jackson Hayes is a freak you know, generational athlete a type of guy you don't see very often. Um, Cesar Edwards is an okay athlete, a decent athlete, but he's more skill and finesse um, and a face-up guy as opposed to a dunker at the rim and, and a shot blocker like Jackson Hayes. But that being said, I mean, he can already shoot it out to three. He can pass a little bit, um, but the stuff he's shown off the dribble and his agility, it's not there yet, but if it's a, a real weapon as he, as he develops and, and he gets into the Big East, the sky's the limit for the guy. He could legitimately be like a professional forward. Um, so it's, and, and, and I would say this, you, you already have a shot blocker in Deontay Miles. If you need him just to be in that role, Deontay Miles will block three to four shots a game. He will protect the rim by himself. I don't know what he'll do on the other end of the floor, and you may not need him to do anything on the other end of the floor as he matures. But I would say this, I mean, when you look at – and you talked about how he picked them over Florida State. I mean, Florida State has had those guys – it feels like they've had – eight guys on their roster between 6'10 and 7'1 for the last five years. Yeah. Um, and, and they're just imposing to watch. I mean, I, I know you're talking about him not being a shot blocker or whatnot, but he's still 6'10 is 6'10. And you put a 7'1 shot blocker out there along with him, that's a pretty imposing group. Yeah, and to be clear, he can block shots. I just want to be – he's not Jackson Hayes, you know, who's right. just elite explosive NBA shot blocker and dunker. I'm not going to say that about Cesar Edwards, but in terms of like at the Big East level – He's going to help you protect the rim. And the thing about him is because, That's two of them. because he's skilled and versatile, he, I would think about him like you think of Zach Fremantle. You, he's probably a five to start out. You're going you're gonna to play him under, under the basket a little bit because he does rebound well uh, at 6'10". But he, is, he can shoot the three. He can handle it even better than Fremantle at the same stage. He's more of a face-up player than Fremantle. And we saw Fremantle slide to the four and was very comfortable doing that. So now all of a sudden you've got two guys that can play the four or the five in Fremantle and Edwards. And you've got a guy in Deontay Miles that can be that sort of shot blocker for you and, and uh, play with them. Also, and you're right, Skinny. I mean, you could have a lineup that looks Florida State-esque, assuming all these guys pan out, obviously. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. All right, uh, let's move on here. As of Wednesday, UConn has officially rejoined the Big East Conference 
one of seven original members of the Big East, Connecticut competed as a Big East school for the first 34 years of the conference's existence, beginning in 1979-80 and continuing through the 2012-13 season before they joined the AAC during realignment. UConn won the NCAA title in 2014, but has only made the NCAA tournament once since then. That was in 2016. Skinny, where do you think UConn fits in with the new Big East, both immediately and long-term? Uh, very bottom of the barrel. Really? Um, yeah, I do. Uh, look, they're cash-strapped. They're now going to be floating on their own in football, which is going to make them even more cash-strapped. Um, yeah, I just I, – and, and especially in that league, look, I, UConn, UConn before Jim Calhoun was pretty much nothing, and Jim Calhoun really built that program into a powerhouse – uh, Kevin Ollie got a little bit of the residual after effects of, of Jim Calhoun, and then the program has gone in the crapper since then. So, yeah, I'm, I'm going bottom of the barrel. Wow. Uh, maybe, surri- maybe, maybe not the Paul bottom of the barrel, but just above the Paul bottom of the barrel. Shout out to the Paul. Yeah, shout, shout out to Dave Laidow. Just <laughs> lifetime contract sign. Who, who, by the way, who, by the way, Dave, Dave Laidow used to be before he came to the Paul. What was he? He was an assistant at UConn. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> Uh, Gary Parrish and Matt Norlander on the CBS College Basketball Podcast gave out power rankings for the Big East over the next five years. They had Villanova at number one, obviously, but they had uh, UConn at Norlander having at number two and Parrish had them at number three for the next wow. five years. I mean, obviously, I you're surprised it. to hear that. Yeah, I ain't buying that at all. I mean, dude, they, they've been a bottom-of-the-barrel team in the AAC, and I know recruiting the Big East is different than recruiting the AAC, but you're still recruiting to UConn. It yeah. still had brand. It still had brand name and brand name after that national championship year sunk it right in the mud. And granted, Kevin Ollie had a lot to do with that, um, but brand name didn't do anything for UConn. And I don't think throwing them back in the Big East. Hell, DePaul used to be a brand name, and where are they in the Big East? Yeah, but they were. Ne- I mean, they never had the success that UConn did in the Big East. Um, I, this, this is. I think the big question to me is: Can you go home again? Well, that. But what? What? What really hurt them after Calhoun left? Was it the fact that Ollie was a terrible coach and didn't recruit well and it just became a disaster there for a few years and now they got to rebuild it? Um, or was it, like you said, it, look, it's, it's just not really the basketball school that everyone thinks it was because of the success under Calhoun and the brand name just isn't going to be there without him. That is, that is kind of my question because I do think there is this window now. You've got Dan Hurley, who I think is a good coach. I don't know if he's as great as Chad Brendel thinks he is, but I do think he is a good coach. I think he's a good, yeah, I do too. I think he's a good coach. And they have recruited well the last two years. I mean, they are, they are clearly on the rise with their recruiting, and I think a lot of that was him pitching to people, hey, we're headed back to the Big East. I think that's helped him, and I think now that they are officially in the Big East, their recruiting will go back up. I mean, look, if you're trying to tell kids from – from around the Yukon area, the Northeast, that you're going to go play at Houston and Wichita State and Tulane, that might not be as easy of a sell as it is Seton Hall, St. John's, Georgetown. You know, say, say what you want about the New Big East, but it's still better brands for the East Coast than the AAC is. All right, so but I, but, but how, how, how has that worked out for a certain school in Chicago where I'm, I've always thought there were some pretty good basketball players? Yeah, but again, that's the Midwest. So, I mean, like, DePaul, like if you're going to use DePaul as the argument, DePaul is a freaking disaster. And it's a, just it's not everywhere. Un- the one thing I will say about UConn, and, and, and this will back your point more than it will back my point, 
going to the Big East does give them their old identity where they, they, they lost their identity when they started chasing a football conference, right? right? right. And, and, that, and they, they chased the football dollar, and the football dollar actually bit them right back in the ass to the point where the last landing spot for them was the AAC, and that, mm-hmm. was, that became a financial disaster for football, became an on-court disaster for basketball, and now they set football adrift basically to die, I would assume, and, and try to rebrand you know, the basketball program as, as part of the Big East. So I guess the door is open for them to do it. I just think it'll be an uphill climb for them to do it. Well, you're right about the uphill climb. And look, I mean, there's also the question of, are they in a position now to focus back on basketball and put enough resources in basketball to be what they once were? You know, because you're right. The, the, the focus on football has really hurt the basketball program without a doubt. So if nothing else, the move to the Big East and the acknowledgement that, hey, we are a basketball school and we're done screwing around with this football stuff, at least at the level we were trying to do it and get into the Big 12 and all that is over with, that may help them more than anything. But uh, I guess to answer the question, circle back around and where I think UConn fits in, immediately, I think they have a chance to be top half of the conference right away. Like, I don't think they're top three, but could they be somewhere between four and six or seven? I think that's probably right uh, because of the the young talent that they have and and some of the other guys they're bringing in, including transfers. Um, But long-term, I'm more iffy. I think with the Big East Conference, it gets really hard to do these power rankings because you go one Villanova and then – two to eight now now, you say are all about the same and I think UConn fits in that group somewhere I don't think they are in that bottom tier with Georgetown St. John's and DePaul I think and maybe even Georgetown if if you want to argue they're still Georgetown and they they'll find their way back in that mix at some point I'm 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 not convinced I'm not either but some people will tell you that um and if you look at the records it's pretty clear that the demarcation line is Marquette and Georgetown seven and eight right there I mean you look at uh, Villanova is one in terms of overall record since the new Big East form. Xavier is two. Creighton is three. Providence four. Butler five. Seton Hall six. Marquette seven. And then Georgetown, St. John's, DePaul. But that Marquette and Georgetown line, uh, you got about 14 games in between those two. You know, it's pretty Z- significant. Yeah. But for the most part, that two through seven can all switch places, in my opinion. And there's no clear reason – uh, or evidence to suggest that one's going to be better than the other, I think UConn fits right into that pack somewhere. And I don't know if it's closer to the the two, three, four, or if it's closer to the six, seven, eight. I will say for them, getting out of the AAC for basketball is is their last lifeline. And 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 honestly, like I said, setting football adrift, that they had to do it. They chased the dollar and it didn't work. Yeah, I would totally agree. All right, Skinny, before we get to uh, our final segment, we'll stick with college basketball real quick. Iona coach, which still feels weird to say, Iona coach Rick Pitino said on Twitter he thinks the start of the 2020-21 basketball season should be delayed. The former Kentucky and Louisville coach suggested on Twitter that the season start in January include only league games. What do you think of Pitino's plan to start basketball in January? I don't think he's wrong. The way we're trending with all this stuff, um, I – Look, I am so hoping the NBA bubble works. And I'm, you know me, I'm not a huge NBA fan, although, again, it's going to get into the playoffs pretty quickly, which will make it interesting. But here's the thing, Rick. If the NBA bubble works, then okay. We can feel good about maybe some other things. Problem is, though, the flip side, if the NBA bubble doesn't work, how else are you going to play anything else? I mean, can there be a, a, a safer environment for an organization to put itself in than the NBA bubble, right? Yeah, I mean, no one else is going to have the money and wherewithal and everything else that the NBA is doing right now to make this happen. 
Yeah. And, and that's, I guess, my hope is it works because at least it gives you a thought of other things working. I mean, to a large degree, the PGA Tour has worked. It's obviously a different circumstance, but they've had positive tests. If the bubble doesn't work, though, Rick, I, I mean, honestly, how are we having anything else the rest of this year or until they find a vaccine? And again, I think that's an overreaction that many are having to this, but I think that's a reaction that's coming. Yes? Uh, yeah, that's definitely the reaction I'm hearing out there. I, I guess my whole thing, and I, 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 without getting too specific into like which sport or which protocol is going to work the best or anything like that, because I think there are all types of different theories out there about that stuff and whether the, the bubble can work, but football will never happen and stuff. I've heard a lot of different thoughts out there. To me, I guess I'm just confused that this is an illness, okay? And the, the, the elite athletes that are in their 20s and 30s, we understand are at very little risk for, with this illness. I mean, sure, they can, sure seems sure seems that way. They can get it, but they're probably not going to be all that affected and they will probably recover 100%. I guess to me it's just wild that we are looking at this and we're saying like, "Oh, 15, 17 guys got this illness, so we're going to cancel the season and the livelihood by the way for all these other players who let's just take the NFL for example could be paralyzed on any given play. On any given play, you could blow out your ACL, you could be paralyzed, you could have a concussion, you know, the CTE stuff. Like, these are guys that are putting their, their bodies and their lives and their livelihood on the line every single snap. Yep. And now we're going to say we're canceling a season because of illness. And again, I'm not, I'm not acting like this isn't real, like this is a hoax, like it isn't serious or something to, uh, to be cautious about. But when it comes to the idea of like, we're shutting down sport and, and let's make no mistake about it. It's an economic decision to me. Like we're talking about billions and billions of dollars and, and killing uh, the business around these sports. I mean, it's going to be really tough to come back from a year where you just don't play. If we're talking about college athletics specifically. Um, Agreed. I, 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 I think I said this on the podcast last week. I, I'm actually, this is going to sound weird. I'm actually more encouraged the more positive tests or guys testing positive, whether they're asymptomatic or not, that all these college athletes are having because to this point, and God forbid we have it, I haven't heard of one of them being hospitalized for it. I've heard very few being really physically sick from it. I've heard of, uh, there's been no deaths from it. And again, one death you can argue is one too many, but of course, you know, I, and, and, but then the flip side is you, I, I saw a story today on CBS Sports where a, a University of Illinois computer science professor says he believes that based on his research, three to seven college football players will die this year if they play college football from COVID-19. Um, and I think when you hear that, people go, oh gosh, we can't do it. Well, is that accurate? I mean, it's a model. It doesn't make it accurate. Uh, see, to me, I, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of on that side that says the more I hear of positive tests and then really nothing more than that, okay, let's do this. Yeah, I mean... I- I, again, but I don't, I don't think know that's exactly. the reaction. I don't think that's the reaction going to be of those in charge. However, uh, yeah, I don't. I, at the end of the day, I still believe money always wins out, and the amount of money that is on the line if you cancel the next year of sports is astronomical. Like, so I just don't. I don't see a way in which they don't play at all. I think there may, it may, you know, obviously baseball has been changed drastically. The NBA is doing the bubble thing to finish off their season. But even as we head into next year, like as we start college football and college basketball and restart the NBA potentially, 
I just don't see those leagues not playing. Um, and, and I still think to me, it is just bizarre that we are so gung ho and like people are so excited every time they hear like, these are people I respect and people that I think are intelligent. Every time we hear about something new, a positive case, someone has coronavirus, uh, 15 players got it when they were testing, whatever. It, it's immediately, these people are so excited to tell you, well, that's it. We're not going to play. We have no chance we're going to play. That's like, what? we know nothing about this virus. That has been clear from the onset of it. Why are people so excited to be on one side or the other? I'm in the no, middle right. here where I'm just like, I don't know. I don't know what to think. I don't know what the right answer is. It just seems crazy to me in a capitalist society where money wins overall. We're seriously thinking about canceling sports? Yeah, it- yeah, if you told me two months ago or even at the outset of this, right, where we all had a fear, we didn't know. I mean, we didn't know if you caught this, do you die? Like, is it an automatic death sentence? We didn't know. And so it was fearful. I mean, I hunkered down like everybody else did, and I didn't want to go out of my house. Um, and if you told me two months ago, whatever, two and a half months ago, that all these players, when they go back to campus, are going to test positive, I go, shut it down. But like I've said today, my mindset has changed of, okay, I'm hearing all these guys testing positive. But I haven't heard of a hospitalization. I certainly haven't heard of a death. And I don't want to hear of that. But until I see, hey, 28 Clemson football players tested positive and 22 are hospitalized, 10 on ventilators, I'm sorry. I can't freak out about that. Well, I, I, maybe I'm wrong for not freaking out about that, but I can't. Let, let, me, let me ask you about that real quick because Boomer Esiason <laughs> brought up an interesting point, which I don't really like a lot of what Boomer says typically. I think most of it's kind of dumb. Uh, but – he did bring up an interesting point when he said, you know, Clemson, Alabama, um, well, there was another SEC school or two, I think Texas was one of them, that have all of a sudden have these really, really high numbers of players testing positive for COVID, these COVID outbreaks, now that they've returned. And he brought up the idea of, I wouldn't put it past these college football coaches who are so crazy about winning to try to get herd immunity. They're trying to infect nope. all their players early on now, so by the time season comes around, They've, they're all good. They've got the antibodies built up, and they're not going to get it again. And Rick, I this like, might be as crazy. This as might be here. I don't. Yeah. think out of the no. Question. Yeah, sorry about that. This, this might be hearsay, but but I, I somebody told me they read that, that the, that's exactly what either the Alabama or Clemson players did. They went, they got together and basically drank after one another to try to get it. Yeah, I, I mean that that just seemed like I mean it does seem when you go from the NBA and you have hundreds of people tested and what it was, it was like fourteen or sixteen people tested 16, positive, sixteen people, five percent, and now players. you're testing what, 105 football players and you've got right. 30? Right. Like, hmm, some about that seems a, a little unusual, especially when they're like in the South where the numbers aren't as high and they're probably a little more naturally so, socially distanced anyway. Um, it's just interesting to me. And, and when I heard Bimmer say that. I was like, you know what? That's not crazy. I, could, I wouldn't put it past a Nick Saban or a, a Dabo Sweeney either for, for uh, trying to get their players sick now so that they have the herd immunity. Again, I... I just don't see a way we don't play sports. I, right. To me, so, it's, it's just going a little above and beyond right now with people saying, no chance we're going to play. I, I don't believe that. All right, so let, let, me, let me then end in this part of the segment with this. NBA starts on time and finishes on time. Yay or nay? Yes. Both. Both. Baseball starts on time and finishes on time. Yes, both. Really? I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I think once we get going, we're not going to stop. All right, just, NFL – starts on time obviously they absolutely Mm. i don't think other than other than the preseason stuff which i mean is a no well you you knew that was coming i told you that was it it, it, it just happened in a different manner i was surprised (laughs) they took 
week four out, left the two middle weeks. I thought they'd just lop off the first two weeks to push everything back. back right. But, I, but I, you know, somebody pointed this out to me, and maybe, I, maybe it was written, I didn't, I didn't read it, that the fact that they're cutting off that last week, it's almost like, hey, in that last preseason game, which is now technically week three of the preseason, if somebody comes down with it, they're quarantined for two weeks, guess when they come out of the quarantine? By September the 10th. Right, which is opening. So maybe that was the reason for for doing it that way. That sounds very cynical. Well, and I also would think it might it might uh, get guys out of out of there quicker, right? It might make you make those yes. cuts a little quicker instead of yeah, keeping right. around all those last. Well, cuts that's a good point too. To play that's the a fourth great game. You say right. we're not going to do that dress rehearsal, or you know, the game where it's like the last guy on the roster is trying to make the team for scout. He's you already made that decision. Get no, the that's a good out. point. Yeah, you, it's that's 30, 32 to thirty five people that you're lopping off that, right. that you don't have to worry about more people spreading whatever they're going to traveling get. for another week. Yeah. What have you? So yeah. All right, college football start on time, finish on time. With to me, that's the one without a doubt. Like zero zero chance they they change college football for this. All right, but what if what if teams can only have limited fans and they can't make it work financially? Well, well, okay, that's. That could be a different story. I don't know enough about the logistics of, hey, this is going to cost us money and we can't make it happen. Like, right. if you have to not I think play that's, buy games because certain schools can't afford it now, that makes sense to me. Yeah, I think uh, that's a driver. College basketball, start on time, finish, finish on time. Well, I guess I, guess I shouldn't say I'm, I'm confident that college football and college basketball will start on time because I do think there is the possibility that we, like, lose buy games and things like that. So – you know, I, I don't think like uh, Rick Pitino's idea is crazy of starting in January and not playing all the bye games. That is a possibility. So I won't say I'm positive they'll start on time, but I do think they will come to a, a decision of what their plan is and they will execute that plan and that plan will be started on time and they will play the season out. Uh, here's the one I am most pessimistic about and I, I, I hope I'm dead wrong. High school football start on time in Ohio and Kentucky and finish on time. Yeah, that one I have no idea about. Um, I just, there's uh, there's way less on the line right there in terms of financial, right? Correct. And the and the, and the, the thing that's weird is if if both both places leave it up to individual districts to make the decision, um, it is going to be different for different districts. And so if if one district is shut down and you were scheduled to play three games against schools in that district, what the hell are you going to do? I, do I, think, it just do you there, think there's no uniformity. That- you don't think the OHSAA will come to a uniform decision on that? I do not. I do not because I, I think if I read this right, I think the Akron Public Schools have already decided they're not going to have in-person class in the fall. I believe that's correct. CPS, we just saw what they decided to do yeah. where they're going, you know, three days one week, two days the next. How are they going to practice? How are those kids going to get to school on days that they're not in school? Yeah, that's a fair point. Like the the high school stuff is – a, a whole lot messier, I think. Yes, but yes. To me, with the amount of money, this is big business. Not- I agree. And no, the NFL's too big. That's the whole concept of why the NFL is going to be played. Everybody talks. It's too big to fail. Yeah, and, and same thing. Like same thing with college athletics. They have never ever cared about the health or the well being no. of the student athletes. Hell no. Uh, for me to believe that now is the time that they're going to decide that over money. Mm, I just don't know that I'm buying it. Like I okay. get, I get that we should be cautious. I get that maybe they should feel that way. I just don't believe it'll really happen. I think this is a lot of PR uh, posturing right now. All right, let me go back to the NBA for a second. I know I'm throwing, hi- throwing hypotheticals at you. I realize that. Let's say that we are we're we're in the second round of the playoffs, and you've gotten a chunk of players that have come down with it, missed some time. Second round of the playoffs, the Lakers are missing LeBron, Anthony Davis, and two other starters, and another team's missing four starters because they're quarantined for two weeks. They're not deathly ill but they're, they've got it and they have to be quarantined 
Does the league start looking and going, wait a minute, this is, this is not going to be a representative of the way the season goes? You look at it and go, just like, hey, Anthony Davis hurt his Achilles and LeBron hurt his elbow and Fred hurt his ankle. It's just an injury that we have to, you have to deal with. Man, that's, that's a good question. That's where it becomes more interesting. I think it probably comes down to the overall numbers and not the individual player. You know what I mean? Like, right, for instance, right, I don't think right. they're going to say, oh, because it's LeBron, we can't keep going. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I just threw him out there. Yeah, I'm, but, but use any team that's in the, in the at playoff. At the same time, you have a good point that, like, if LeBron and Anthony – like, if you have star power out, it's going to make it a lot, a lot easier for them to say – Okay, why don't we put the kibosh on this, right? right. Like, I mean, if it's if it's a couple six men on a few different teams, then no one's really going to care. Um, we don't know enough about the virus, right? We just do no, not we know don't. enough don't. about no, it correct. to to know whether or not, hey, one or two guys are going to get this, and then it's going to spread like wildfire. I mean, like teams deal with mono, they deal with strep throat, they deal yes. with stomach bugs. Like guys get sick during the season and the whole team doesn't immediately get sick. So um, is the coronavirus different? Of course. We, we just don't know how it's going to happen yet. But the fact that, you know, all these guys aren't immediately getting it unless, you know, maybe you're at like Clemson or Alabama or a few select football schools who seem to have an issue here all of a sudden, it makes me a little more confident that, okay, one or two guys may get it on your team, but they'll stay at the hotel room, they'll be quarantined and You'll go on and play just like if someone had the flu. I really think the most interesting thing to me will be three or four weeks in for some of these guys being sequestered and quarantined. Does somebody at that point opt out and go, you know what? I can't do this. This is insane. The mental health aspect of it yes. will be really interesting yes. to me because this is just a bizarre social experiment. Now, the NBA bubble, it's like it's such a unique situation, and a lot of these guys are still so young that – you know, it's almost like going to summer camp. Like you got all these games, you're mic'd up, you got Twitch streams going on. They're doing all the social media content. Like, I think the NBA has got this going in a way that enough of the guys will be entertained by it. It'll be new uh, that it might be okay. But that's an interesting question, especially for some of the older guys who have families and things like that. Do you just lose your mind? Well, uh, and, 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 and I said this kind of jokingly last week a little bit though. Um, dude, there's no way you're asking these guys to be celibate for two months. I mean, you ain't gonna ask them to be celibate for two days. And I'm serious about that. What, what, what's, how are they going to handle that? So something is going to be done about that. I, I just, I, I mean, I find it impossible to believe that they're just going without. I, agreed. But or, I mean, or you'll have no, a major problem. No one has really addressed that. Have they? I, I don't know. The, uh, the women of Miami might be banging down the doors there in Orlando to get into Disneyland here. Soon, maybe, so. maybe, but man, oh man, I, I, I want to see how that works out. If my man does without for a week and goes, that's it, I'm done. I ain't done. The hell with this basketball stuff. I'm going back. They're going to have to call the National Guard in to keep out Miami's finest <laughs> night walkers. Uh, it's, it, it, it is an interesting experiment. And I go back, to, I'll leave you with this before we get on to the question segment. If the NBA bubble doesn't work, I feel very pessimistic about the rest. I think, I think that's fair, um, but I just think the NBA bubble is probably going to go through. I, yeah, I, I, yeah again, I so. They're spending so much money on this. It's just crazy no, to me right. that they're just going to pull the plug on it after the money's All already right. spent and they're going this far down that road. So We'll see. All right, Skinny, it is time for our favorite part of the podcast. Ask Skinny Anything, where we get questions submitted, topics submitted, links, whatever. People just send it to us online, and they say, make one Richard Skinner talk about this. So without further ado, here we go. Uh, 
first question, how far or long is acceptable to drive for one meal out? If your wife wants to try a new place, what's your limit on how far long you will drive to get there? Well, considering that she probably has to drive home because I won't be, uh, I, I won't, I would probably be above the legal limit to, <laughs> to, to drive back home. Um, that's probably more of a, of a her question. Um, trying to think how far we will would have driven for for a meal. Um, I mean, there's so much obviously, obviously around where all of us live, right? Um, uh, you know, I I could probably. Yeah, I, 15 miles, 20 miles from your house. I'm not driving to like a whole other city. Um, I can get a good steak around here. I can get a good rack of ribs around here. I can get a nice Italian meal around here. I can get a hell of a pizza around here. I, I don't think you have to drive a long way to, to do it. Um, you know, if I want one of the best steaks in the world, I can drive town down to Ruby's or go to Morton's or one of those. I mean, yeah, I just, uh, I would say, yeah, 15 miles is probably the max. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think that's right, especially for like a standard meal but let me ask you this would it bother you if there's like for instance i keep seeing this place on facebook that and instagram that everyone keeps posting pictures of that is i guess a pizza joint that looks like it almost looks like a concession stand like you walk up and get pizza and then they have these milkshakes that are like uh, they gotta have twenty thousand calories in them. i mean they're, (laughs) they're like milkshakes with like donuts and cupcakes and things coming off the top of them i mean they're just insane looking creations like i think it's two hours away or something an hour and a half away where uh, I, uh, in Ohio somewhere. I don't know exactly. I just keep seeing people pick, post pictures. I don't know what it's called, but I guarantee you like 30% of our listeners right now know what I'm talking about at least. Um, are, are you into something like that? Like the day trip to just go do like, just go do something like that? Or are you like, come on, we can, we can do that crap right here. We don't need. To, yeah, we, we can do that crap right here. You know what? I, I can get a, I, I can get a slice from a lot of places. And honestly, I can suffice with a steak and shake or a UDF milkshake if that's the case. I, I think that'll be just just fine. And honestly, I ain't washing down a piece of pizza with a milkshake anyway. But anyway, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. Neither here, neither here nor there. No, I'm not driving a long way for it. There's too many places around around where we live to to get a not just a good a good meal, a really good meal at a good at a good price, and in a lot of uh, unique places. I, I don't mind trying out different places around here. I, there's a ton of. I mean. Hell, we just went to Agave and Rye last week, and I'd heard great things about it. And I first time I went, holy cow, found a new place. It was fabulous. So yeah, it's really good. There's always there's always new places to find. There are there are a ton of good local spots around here, and that's I think more than anything why I wouldn't feel the need to go. But I I am the type of guy that like if there is you know I like a a Friday or a Saturday event like something we're going to do. I don't mind driving to it, but it couldn't just be a meal. Like we can't just be. Oh, going it would have to be something. Like, yeah. Are we going kayaking and then going out to eat or something like that? Like then I'll do that. Are we going hiking somewhere? That'd be fun. But you I know, when, just, when I go to when I go to Lexington to either Keeneland or go to a, a Kentucky game, my daughter's a, a student there. Um, you know, I went to college at UK, so I have a couple of go to places. I mean, Joe Bologna's. I definitely. I mean, it's a it's an hour and a half drive, but I'm already in Lexington for something else. But I do love me some Joe Bologna's. I like to make sure I get enough carry out for a, a, a lunch or two along the way along with it. Columbia Steakhouse is unique and different. So, yeah, I, I, but I'm not going to all of a sudden go, you know what I want tonight? I want a steak and let's drive all the way to Lexington to get Columbia's. Right. No. Your wife no. looks at you and says, we got to go somewhere. It better be within 25 minutes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, yeah, absolutely. By the way, I do have to tell a quick shout out story. My, my youngest daughter turned 21 last Tuesday. Oh, the that was a fun night in the house. So we went out for a drink, um, just a quick drink at midnight the night before, Monday night into Tuesday. We went to Barleycorns in Lakeside Park just to have literally a drink, just say, hey, it's your 21, get carded, the whole kind of shebang. The next night we went out with a few of her friends, and we went to Agave and Rye. And then after that, we went and sat out at Goodfellas. It was a really nice night last Tuesday, um, comfortable. 
And so at dinner, she got a margarita and they, their margaritas are really good. I'm not a big margarita fan, but I got one really good. Um, went to Agave and Ryan. Of course I got it. I would, at that point I was a little full, so I didn't want to get a beer. So I got an old man scotch and water cause I'm an old man. Um, she didn't like that. She got some kind of frou-frou drink, but I told her, I said, listen, before this night's over, I said, I did this with your sister. You're going to have to do it with your old man. It's a rite of passage. We're going to do a shot of wild turkey. <laughs> so it was about 9.45, and, and um, I needed to go back home and get some work done. So I said, listen, I said, you can stay here with your friends, and your mom's going to be the driver, so she, she can take them home and take you home. I said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take my, was my oldest daughter and her, her uh, fiance. I said, I'll take them home and go home. I got some work to do. I said, go get that shot. So she goes up, gets the shot, and I can see she's walking down the steps. You've been to Goodfellas, correct? She's oh, walking yeah. down the steps out the back, and we're sitting out back below. And I can see the look on her face as she's smelling it. She puts it down. She <laughs> goes, I, I can't do this. I said, oh, yeah, you have to do it. I said, it's just, it's just a rite of passage. And again, she hasn't had much to drink at this point. She had a margarita and a, what was called a Judy Garland. It's very much a frou-frou cocktail drink, but that's fine. So that's all she's had to this point. So I said, all right, I said, I said, you tell me when you're ready. I said, I'm not going to force you to, to and, and it was not, it was more than a shot. They poured a nice little juice glass full. <laughs> and so I said, all right, here we go. So I bang mine down. I look over at her and like the amateur she is, she held it in her mouth. Oh. And I said, got to swallow. And so she swallowed. I could see the eyes get really, <laughs> really watery. watery. Yeah. She does take a big sip of water. And I can tell at this point, this is not going to end well, especially when she put her hair in a ponytail about as fast as she could possibly do it, walked over to the garbage can and out it came. Nice. I said, said, you know, happy 21st. I said, exactly. Happy 21st. She goes, I will never do that again. I said, well, good. That's a lesson learned. Shots are bad, buddy. That's a, that's the lesson for tonight. Shots are bad. Yeah. Give her like six months or so. She'll, she'll revisit. Maybe. I think she's more frou-frou drink, to be honest with you, but that, that's okay. I'm, I'm good with that part of it. Nah, it always starts out that way, your, your first yep. night or two. And six months later, you're just a total savage. College does amazing <laughs> things to you. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> All right. This is a, another just great one. I don't know if I've ever felt more strongly about a question that we have been sent. Uh-oh. Skinny, peeing in the backyard, for or against it? Four. Absolutely. I've done Obviously. It. There's Four. nothing better. Nothing I'll tell you better. what, this is, I can't remember how many years ago this was, came home with probably too much, too much to drink and bladder full. And I had to go badly. I mean, so badly that I didn't even have time to get out of my car. I didn't even have the wherewithal to get out of my car, to go into my house, to take two steps to the downstairs bathroom. I had to go so badly that I just right there in the backyard, I just, I had to do it. I mean, occasionally. Yeah. Nature just calls and you got to do what you got to do. Well, and you live in uh, the suburbs where you've got, you know, kind of houses around you for the most part. Yes. Like yes, normal correct. neighbors. Yeah. So that's correct. a little now, bit more- I, now, now I did, I do have, in my backyard, I do have like a line of five trees before it, my yard drops off. It's a pretty big backyard, drops off to a creek. So I did go by one of the trees. So I at least kind of hid myself yeah. a little bit. Yeah. But woo. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Backyard. Are you kidding me? Now, I haven't done it in a long time. I've kind of, I guess, grown out. Out of that but hey man sometimes when you gotta go you gots to go uh, you know it just is what it is i've been living in newport for a while but you uh you've been to my house in erlanger yes. um which i still have I, I went there this week and went back to go do some yard work there i was say your, your whole backyard has got to be almost like a toilet it's you're, you're like you're like secluded from everything it, yeah it's not even the backyard i mean there's just like there's no neighbors around man the closest <laughs> house is what a couple hundred yards across a field with uh farm stuff in between i mean there's no one around me so Literally, I was honest to God thinking while I was there doing yard work this week that my favorite part about this house and the thing I missed the most is just 
whipping out and peeing wherever you want. Right. I mean, just whenever at all times, want, no right, matter where, where you are. Wherever you want, whenever you want. Yeah, you're yeah. out back chipping golf balls, you just turn and pee. Like, just, just turn gotta, away from everybody be, else and pee. A, absolutely. No, I, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I yeah, miss I, that I, a lot. And peeing in the rain, there's nothing better than peeing outside when it's raining in. Usually I come in from the rain. That's usually what smart people do. But oh, nah, okay. It's just a little exhilarating. A nice little breeze going through. It feels good. A little free, little free flow? Yeah. It's <laughs> a good question, though. All right. Uh, moving on. Did you ever try anything other than media? I assume this means job-wise. Yeah. Um, I, I was a director of, of uh, what's called relationship marketing. And it's basically at, at Turfway Park for a couple of years. It's, it's where you, um, you look at database information. And I had a great guy I work with, Matt Ketron, who was really good at this stuff. And we would try to find people. We had a rewards card. So you would try to find people that hadn't been in a while and maybe a, a subgroup and send them an offer you know, $5, whatever, a food voucher to come back. And then I also had to deal with some of the bigger clients that would come in. Um, I have told the story of Pete Rose a few times where, you know, dealing with him, believe it or not, he was actually great to deal with other than he was always looking for money. Um, but, but honestly, he was, he was pretty low, low key to be out for, for such a high level, I guess, uh, celebrity for lack of a better term. Um, so yeah, um, that, um, Villa. I was an admissions director at Villa Madonna Academy for for a couple of years when my kids went there. So yeah, uh, but for the most part, I mean, it's, it's it's I've usually been a two job kind of guy. Uh, just the yeah. way I've always been wired. So I've always done multiple jobs. Um, but yeah, media is. I mean, I got a journalism degree and pretty much been in the media since I got out of college in nineteen and eighty. Yeah, I mean, I haven't I haven't done anything other than like high school and college. I had a couple very very short lived odd jobs. Um, but since college, it's been all media for me. The only thing I could potentially see myself doing is like a social media job or something like that for a corporation outside of it. I couldn't really see myself doing anything else. Yeah. I, I, I wouldn't mind. I wouldn't mind being a director of publications at some point, or, um, I don't know if I'd want to do media relations, but I, I wouldn't mind being director of communications and, 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 uh, and publications for, for somebody for hell a university. Even I, I think that would be an interesting job. I, I, I like, I like the old school layout. I like editing more than I like writing. Um, so I, I wouldn't mind doing that at some point. But again, that's still kind of media-ish, if you will. Yeah, yeah. I just couldn't imagine. I love creating the content. Like even if I wasn't creating content in, in the manner that I am now, like I think it would be social media where I am still creating some form of content or coming up with plans and helping other people create that content, that type of thing. Um, I just basically since I'm 11, that's all I've really thought about doing was sports media. And at this point, I don't really think I'm equipped to do much else. Honestly, yeah, I don't you know, know well, 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 I'll be honest with you. And, and one of the reasons I, I did get out of media back in the early 2000s is um, I got a job offer out of the blue to go work at Turfway Park. That was number one. And at the time I worked at the post and had worked there for 12 years and there was pretty clear writing on the wall that it was going to fold in 2007 when the joint operating agreement with the Enquirer was up. And I thought, I don't want to be in 2007 going, what the hell else can I do for a living? I thought, and I was still doing talk radio then too. So I thought, I'm going to, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do something else just to put that on my resume. And then I did that for a bit and then um, got back into media pretty much full time. And then um, again, got rift towards the end of the 2000s and was looking for something else. And the Villa thing came along and I thought, you know what? I, the kids go to school there. I like the school. I'll do that. And that was interesting for a couple of years. And then again, got two full-time job offers back in the media again in 2013. So um, yeah, it's, it's, I, I, I just wanted to put something else on my resume. Shout out to the fan. Yeah, uh, exactly. Hey, um, um, by, by the way, and you were just talking about creating content. I, I am 
probably one of the weirdest when it comes to writing. I love story ideas. I love researching stories. I love reporting. I hate, I mean, I hate the physical act of writing. So I hate I. it. So do I. <laughs> that, isn't that funny though? I'm the, I'm the same exact way, but like you said, the idea of like talking about it and hashing a story out, coming up with the idea, um, or like going out, going out to interview someone, um, podcasting, I absolutely love. I mean, this is my favorite medium by far. Radio was always what I wanted to do. Right. Um, I, I don't mind doing TV stuff, doing small segments. Like I like creating video type stuff. Like when people do YouTube things or anything like that, I'm, I'm totally fascinated by all that in the new media. I enjoy doing it, but I'm totally with you. Writing is one of the hardest things to just make yourself sit down and actually do. Yeah, and I'm usually pretty good. Once I get a lead in my head, I'm, I can pretty much crank it out fast. But then you get to that perfectionist stage where you're like, I want to say that better. How do I say that better? And then, and then you just you, you, you play mind games with yourself. Yeah, yeah, I've totally been there. Uh, Skinny, do you have a favorite bar in New Orleans? And this person also said you need to find the tape when he called into his old radio show. Yeah, that's that Maybe was you can tell probably, us about that. The, well, <laughs> this was during the SEC tournament in 2002 or three. I want to say three three it was in new orleans and um I, I don't think i had to cover a game i think i went kentucky had a buy and i think i went to to do a preview on the team they were going to play so i went to the whoever it was in fact i sat it was a night i sat next to nolan richardson it was an interesting uh, night talking to him i really enjoyed that believe it or not we, we he was just fun to talk to um because he was just sitting there watching the game on media on on press row and so bunch of us who were covering the kentucky back then we go down to bourbon street and make the rounds and next thing i know it's almost six o'clock in the morning as i'm stumbling back to my hotel when i thought it was just a really smart thing to call my radio show and um suffice it to say there's probably a recording out there somewhere um i made a fool of myself which is not shocking probably to many um I and googled just, it. I couldn't find it, unfortunately. Well, it's. It, I don't think the recording's out there, but it's. Someone it was, has it, it. Someone probably has it. It gets. It gets tweeted at me every time around that time from a. Oh really? Guy. There's yeah. a tweet out there. Yeah, it's. But there's no audio for oh, it. It's just. Okay. It's just. Gotcha. I get tweeted about that. That. That famous call, and um, yeah, there wasn't a favorite bar. I just remember whatever place kept serving the the frozen hurricanes. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, and then we went, and then me and another guy uh, went to Pat O'Brien's because it's a famous New Orleans bar. I thought I got to have a drink at Pat O'Brien's, and of course, guess what we end the night with? Two shots of wild turkey. That's what kind of did me in. Yeah, I, I will say, shout, shout, I, I will say, shout out to Hurricanes when they come back up. They actually taste pretty good. It's the best part about frozen drinks. Yes, food food drinks. yes, yes, correct. Yeah, no, I, I can do a frozen food food drink from time to time. As I told you, I by the way. My Long Island iced tea game still strong. That has not fallen off. I am, I am still on that train. I'm getting ready to go down to Lake Norris uh, next week, and I am loaded up, locked and loaded, loaded for LIT. Loaded for bear. Yeah, that's going to get ugly. The thing that's fun about New Orleans is honestly, you get a drink at one end of the uh, end of a street, and you just walk around. You just walk. Basically, we just did a did a lap, and it felt like you did a thousand laps. Uh, just walking around, seeing people, seeing the sights. So, so there really wasn't a place to hunker down. It was more just walking around and, and seeing people and, and being in the mix. So yeah I, yeah, I wouldn't say there was a favorite place, but uh, it is a hell of a city. Speaking of that, have you been down to the levee since they they've changed I have, that? I, I have not. Same I mean, thing. Well, the, yeah, they've, it's open container now. They've got yeah. this little box park where you can just like go up and buy, they've got foo food drinks. They've got hard drinks. They've got beer. Um, and then you can just walk wherever you want with your alcohol. I, 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 I like, I like that actually. I, I think that's a great idea. I love that idea. Yeah, it is awesome. I love it. All right. Um, this is the last one here. 
What's the most illegal thing one of your friends have done? I had one that embezzled money, <laughs> but I, I, won't, I won't call that out. I had a friend of well, mine. We talked just, about your, your old uh, partner last week, so you. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> no, I, um, well, I had a friend in high school um, who, unfortunately, one night after working the late shift uh, at his high school job, uh, smoked a little ganja out of a bubble yum wrapper and proceeded to wrap his car around a, a telephone pole. Um, that was not, that was not good. That was probably, oh, well, hell, it was illegal. So he got grounded for that for a few months. It did not, I'm not going to incriminate him. Trust me. He knows who he is. Um, and he's a, certainly, he's gone on to have a successful life, but yeah, that was, that was not good. And the funny part is that the times that he and I got in trouble, I got arrested in my own backyard once. Um, when we were, <laughs> We were sleeping out. There was like eight of us sleeping Great out. Sentence. Yeah, eight of us were sleeping out, and um, believe it or not, somehow we were in somebody's yard drinking, um, and somebody else, not with us, shot a BB gun. We didn't even hear it through somebody's at somebody's window. So those people called the cops. We scattered. And this is in where for those that know where the Crestview Hills Mall is, that mall was not there. It was being built at the time. So we all scatter up there, right? except for one dumbass friend who decides to go to my backyard and crawl in the sleeping bag and the cops are searching around, see him put a gun to his head and said, where are the rest of your buddies? And he said, they scattered, they'll be back soon. And when we came back, of course, they're sitting there with my dad and my mother. And um, all I can remember was <laughs> I had to go with my father taking all these guys home and it was not a fun car ride. Yeah, yeah. You, you guys little night out of uh, camping out with your flashlights and stealing a bottle of whiskey and having yep. a fun time turned real serious real quick, didn't it? Yeah, and, and that was the thing. And, it, and it, The good part was it did get proven that we did not shoot. They thought we shot the hole, right? I get it. You see a group of kids and you something gets shot, you assume it's that group. It was actually somebody else across the street who was just firing at the house. Those thugs in Crestview Hills. <laughs> Crestview Hills Mafia. Yep. I grew up on that same street. I know, I know you did. I know that. Yep. yep. It is rough. Uh, the most elite, I mean, first of all, who asked this question and wanted us to just start snitching? <laughs> like who thought we were just some rats out here on the skinny it's podcast? It's a good question. I think that's, that's a little, also at the risk of maybe incriminating uh, myself and knowing too much, I'm trying to think about how he was smoking ganja out of a gum wrapper. How did that work? Yeah, bu bubble gum wrapper. I don't know. That was what he used to roll it up in. Oh, oh, he rolled it in that. Okay, I yeah. was thinking he made oh, like yeah. his own little piece out of there. He was like, no, you know, like people no. do the apple or the bottles. Yes, and all yes. Cans no, no, he, like he, used it, he used it to roll. I, I have to assume he was like dropping ashes on himself when he wrapped his car around the tree or something. Because it's not like no. you take three hits of a joint and all of a sudden you just can't see where you're going. I yeah, mean, I, have no, I have no earthly idea. Yeah, that, that, is, that is an interesting story. I like it, though. Um, this, I don't know that I have a good question for what's the most illegal thing one of my friends have ever done, but I do know one of the times that we, like, it was the most stressful times of my, uh, my life was when it was uh, junior year of baseball. We were out on the field, summer baseball team. We're out of the backfield at FOPA, and um, FOPA in Latonia, for those of you who don't know, and we are taking infield. And my friend goes, hey, I got to run up to the, the Portalettes, which is up at the top of the – this is a giant softball complex. So you've got uh, Portalettes up at the top of the parking lot, and we're down by the back one. So he's like, I, you know, let me take your car real quick. And by the way, he's 15 and doesn't have his license. So I go, hey, no problem. He takes the car up. He comes back, and all of a sudden, as I'm fielding a ground ball, I hear, Arr! my man wrecks my car. 
into oh, no. a truck coming back. So I run off the field. And I'm like, oh, geez. And he literally just jumps out the car, throws my keys at me and goes, just say you were driving. <laughs> oh, no. What, did he not have a license? Yeah, he's 15. Didn't have a license. Oh, that's right. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, duh. Yeah. Holy so, cow. Yeah, so this is a whole big thing. And, like, the guy – we were playing a team that we, like, kind of knew. It was kids from Brossard and Campbell County. I was kind of – I knew the kid who were, whose dad that we wrecked into and all that stuff. So it was kind of like a, the dad, I guess, had had a few too many to drink at dinner. So he didn't want to call a cop driver. So he says, hey, we'll just sort it out after the game and leave. It's a doubleheader. He leaves after the first game, after his son pitches. So he, because he didn't want to talk to the cops about it that night, apparently. I found who, this all out later. Who wound up paying for the damages? Well, th- so th- that's the, the whole story that made it stressful. So after that, then, we, you know, we have to get to this point where we're like going to call him, right? And, and set this up because he has just run off now. And I, I knew who he was. So we're doing all that. But like my dad is also a notorious like procrastinator, just does not stay on top of things. So I'm basically to keep, to keep from admitting or my dad finding out that it was my friend who drove the car. I've told my dad it was me. And I've basically just relied for over a, about eight months on my dad just not going through with this and like following up on it, which is actually exactly what happened. Finally, like eight months later, my dad was like, we really need to, to talk to this guy and get the car fixed. So then when I bring it up, the insurance company is like, eh, it's really too late. It's no one's fault at this point. You just oh, got to pay for heavens. it. And I lucked out. No, it was perfect. It was exactly what I wanted. I didn't care if the car got fixed. I just didn't want to have to admit that I had given it to my friend to drive when he was 15 and he wrecked. I think. I think I would want some money from those people, though, dude. Yeah, well, I was a good friend at the time. Looking back, I mean, I might not do that as an adult, but at the time, you're just trying to, one, not tell your dad that you did something really stupid and let your 15-year-old friend drive your car when you know your dad would not be cool with that. And two, you're trying to keep your friend from getting in trouble before he even gets his license. So... Yeah, I, you know, I have never officially been charged with any kind of a crime, which is a good thing, but I did commit crime when I was a five-year-old, almost Not a major brag, crime. But you're the bad boy of radio. That's, you've always been the bad boy of Cincinnati Radio. <laughs> so, so we were living in Erlanger at the time. Five-year-old me was approached by three teenagers who decided to give five-year-old me a $20 bill if they would lift me through the, the window of a house across the street from us. Jesus, good skinny, where were family. you living? I was living on Fairwood Court in Erlanger. And, I mean, um, my goodness. So they lifted me through, and all I had to do was then go let them in the house, and they were robbing the house when they got caught. And, of course, I got caught. I didn't know any better. My dad was none too pleased again with me at that point. I you guess think? I learned a lesson, but I can still remember to this day the police come and thinking, what did I do? They just let me in a house and gave me a 20. I mean, I'm good with this. I can go buy baseball cards for the rest of my life. So how did, you, how did everyone get caught again? Because so, somebody, somebody, somebody saw them lifting me through the window and then saw me letting them in the house. And then they uh, called the cops. Yeah. Mm, yeah. So you were gone by the time the cops got there, though, right? No, I was just standing there like a dip ding, just standing around <laughs> the, watching them do it. Shout out to dip ding. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so, you, so you, the five-year-old you is just red-handed. Cops walk in and you're in the middle of a heist. The, the worst part oh, that's was That's incredible. When, yeah, the worst part was when my mom and dad made me apologize personally to the people. And they were great. They knew, dude, this five-year-old kid doesn't know any better. He's five years old. Right. But I remember when I had to personally apologize to them how, how mortified I felt. What were the older kids trying to steal? Just stuff in the house. Just going around oh, stealing. Yeah. I mean, Skinny, the, you could send that to the people that wrote The Wire on HBO. And they'd be like, oh, that's a little bit too much for our uh, Baltimore crime syndicate here. I don't think we want to involve five-year-olds. I mean, that is one of the crazier stories I've heard. Am I happening in Erlanger? Yeah, lifted, lifted five-year-old me through a window because I, I could fit. 
Man, I, I love this segment of the podcast. I always find out these ridiculous things about you that I, I would never think to ask. Like, hey, Skinny, did you ever commit uh, uh, crimes when you were five years old? I mean, I just uh, wouldn't come up with that question. So, Yep, I, I, I did. I, that, was, that was me. I was, that was part of the Erlanger posse at that point, I guess. Yeah, and by seven, you were stealing cars. So, Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> then, you know, then I got sent to stir for a while. So, yeah. yeah. All right, Rick, any final thoughts for this week? We got a lot of good stuff, a lot of good questions. We appreciate it. Yeah, good stuff as always. Another long one, but I think it was a good one. I appreciate everybody listening and chiming in. I got nothing else. Yeah, just make sure you keep your five-year-olds from crawling through other people's windows. Uh, that's wild still. I can't get over that. <laughs> You're a total degenerate, more so than I yeah. ever knew. Yeah, how about that? Exactly. I, I have no criminal record, though. Just keep that in mind. <laughs> for Rick Boring, you might have a criminal record for all I know. I'm Richard Skinner. I don't have one. Thanks for being with us. It's been the Skinny Podcast, the weekly potpourri edition.